trying to make it right These people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Let me grow, let me go Let me grow, let me go They should know, they should know They should know, they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have these conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I am joined by my guest, Yumi Park. Yumi Park, who uses they them pronouns, is a non-binary Korean-American born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. They lived in Austin for seven years, four of those while attending college at UT, and currently lives in the NYC area. They started as a young filmmaker and photographer before working in sports and entertainment journalism at UT, and then freelance as a production assistant and music photographer in Austin. While in NYC, Yumi has worked for Instagram as a content and policy reviewer for two years before landing at HBO's creative services department, where they currently are a production assistant. Yumi's passions include everything from music, especially the K-pop group Twice and Kalani, pop culture, travel, reading about social media trends, and the film and TV industry. In recent years, Yumi has become an advocate for more authentic representation of BIPOC and LGBTQ stories in mainstream media, as well as equity for marginalized groups in their corporate office, currently serving as a board member of the NYC chapter of Warner Media's LGBTQ employee group, PRISM. Something most people don't know about Yumi is that they are trying very hard to maintain multiple collecting hobbies without going broke. It's not going well. Well, maybe not too well. Hello, friend. Hello. I didn't realize I wrote such a long bio. Oh my gosh, you're totally fine. I want the I want the people to know you. We're grateful. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Me too. I also realize we've never met in person and we just like talked for 15 minutes like we've been friends for 30 years. So <laughs> yes, I, I feel like that's a great sign though. I feel really appreciative like relationships that start via the internet even though like mutual friends included because I feel like in the age of our like late gen of millennials we came up in like queer friendly spaces like tumblr and twitter and like standing things the internet is very helpful in that sense and like finding community as an lgbtq person has always kind of relied in those like internet spaces too absolutely also, reading your bio, I'm like, Yumi, when I when I get my show deal, I'm bringing you on. When the Brianna Jenkins Network kicks off. I would love to help in any capacity. I feel like I'm one of those people that never knew what they wanted to do or how to get to where they wanted to be. So I mm-hmm. was just always saying yes to like the smallest jobs possible to get the most experience. Like I get to say I worked for Fuse during South by Southwest when they were hosting lady gaga at stubs stop it 
Yes. Stephanie. I watched her rehearsal. Her bodyguards like came at me when they saw me pull out my phone, not to take pictures of rehearsal, but they were like, you need to get off your phone. And I just was like, hell. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm just trying to survive here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, wow. Stephanie, when you hear this, I love you. Never change. <laughs> I refuse I to call like, her. I refuse uh, to call her Lady Gaga. Her name is I Stephanie. Like, I feel like I'm too much of like a small person in her life to ever call her anything but her performer's name. No. Like, I feel like I feel like she's that makes too it, high up there. it make, no, no, no. I want to. I want it to be personal. And <laughs> Stephanie, like for like not I to wish. equate myself to Lady Gaga at all. Like when people call me Brianna, I'm like, who the fuck is that? Like I get so confused. Like I'm Brie. Like like when I when I first moved here, my best friend lived here, and people were like Brianna, it's so good to see you. And him and his boyfriend will be so confused. Like who? I'm like I know. It's just no one no one calls me that. Like no nobody calls me Brianna. So yeah, always so weird. I'm like I never want that like level of like. It's too formal, right? Like, it's not Way casual enough. I have a, my legal first name, which is technically my baptismal name because I was raised Catholic. Um, obviously, like, my family know it and then, like, certain friends and classmates know it because mm-hmm. of annoying roll calls. Um, but, like, it's so old-school feminine mm-hmm. that, like, it's really unfortunate that it is my name legally yeah um but like there have been moments where people will find out and like I had a a year a summer where I was working for women's basketball summer camps and one of the coaches former player for UT found out and she got on like a loudspeaker and was like calling it over the speaker and like this was before I was like identifying as non-binary so it was just kind of like more like an uncomfortableness of hating my name but they were apparently calling my name on the loudspeaker saying like please come to the like front desk and I heard nothing this name does not this name does not register as my own so much so that like the joke never landed for them and they were like why weren't you listening I was like I have no idea I, that wasn't me that so happened. I wasn't yep that wasn't me exactly <laughs> <laughs> well we are gathered today in this sacred space of the tea with Bray to talk about being sober curious and choosing mm-hmm. sobriety and I feel like <clears throat> today we're recording it's July 11th and you know, I started my sober curious journey about two weeks ago. Um, right. Like right before 4th of July. Yeah. Yeah. Huge weekend for the Americans to be. I don't identify. I don't identify with the 4th of July. It's just another. Yeah. Day. I honestly didn't really do anything but play golf with my dad that day too. Like it's not my independence day. America exactly. is independent, but you know, Juneteenth was a couple weeks ago. So anyway. Yes. Um. So yeah, I had been experiencing so I come from a family that like quote doesn't have a problem with alcohol mm-hmm. but we have a lot of addictive tendencies and so right. I even remember like when I first turned 21 and my mom my dad's mom my nana mm-hmm. was like sitting down and talking to me about it she says hey we have, a, we have a family history of like not alcoholism but like being addictive and um, and then my youngest cousin who we're three years apart and she's basically my child. Um, <laughs> so when she turned 21, like we, that was the first Thanksgiving, we, we bought wine to Thanksgiving, mm. because, you know, grown, AKA trying to be grown. And it was fine. Like my family didn't mind. I just could tell like some of them were nervous. 
Yeah. Um, so that's why I'm like my first time family wise seeing people who like choose to be so to be sober. Mm-hmm. Um and like my mom, she's been gone for years, but I never remember her drinking. My dad would like drink beer, but nothing like really harder than that. And you know, so I've always done like sober January and like every couple of years I'm like, eh, I'm not really gonna drink. And but you know, recently I've been doing the world's opening back up or open back up and I've been doing a lot more and going to sporting mm-hmm. events. Austin FC is now. Yeah. My friend that. actually works for the Austin FC. We'll circle back because I have friends who work there too. And I basically, Ooh, I, basically I'm sure, I, I feel like we have a lot more mutual friends. Than I know, right? I'm excited to like share that with you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I basically live at that stadium now. Um, before I opened, <laughs> I took three tours. Like I was so excited. I'm such like oh, a nerd amazing. about soccer. Um, but anyway, so I've been going and, you know, I'll go with friends and they'll drink. And I have found in my past that alcohol triggers my depression. Like I mm-hmm. know that I can't drink gin. Like gin makes me like, puts me in a very dark place. And it doesn't matter how much gin it is. It's just like gin does something to my right. brain. I'm like, like, oh my even God. Even just like a sip or two. Basically like-, like smelling gin at this point, my body's like, mm, that's probably not oh, like wow. a wise, like it's just, it's just such a visceral reaction. Yeah. I get super depressed. And so, yeah, so I had been drinking and getting very depressed drinking. Um, and then I've noticed like, if I don't drink, I'm not as depressed. Like my depression isn't as big. And so mm-hmm. the last like two weeks, I just have been trying to see what it would be like to not drink. And yeah, there's just, there's so many, I did a post about it, which you saw and a couple other mm-hmm. you know, folks commented in this one person messaged me and was like, thank you for sharing this. A lot of people think you have to have like a history of like alcohol abuse or a history of like, um, addiction in your family to like choose not to drink or to be sober and Mm -hmm. you can just choose it I'm like yes like it is your life and your decision is valid and you don't owe anybody an explanation and I think so many times when people choose sobriety it's like there has to be a like a quote huge reason as to why like why wouldn't you drink there has to be like a reason like I could just like not want to do it so I think it's been really helpful like chatting to you about it too Yeah. So like, and for me, it's like, I completely agree with that sentiment that there shouldn't have to be this like sentiment of trauma or history behind it. Um, And like, for me personally, I do think for my personal choice, it has been mostly that with like maybe a third of it being, it's like maybe a quarter of my decision includes like some kind of trauma or some kind of history or within the family but 75 percent of it I do think is mainly and always has been like my choice like I feel like I can remember as a kid you know you know those red ribbon weeks where people are like dare and like drug free red ribbon weeks and things like that I those kinds of campaigns I think kind of stuck with me it it did it was pretty effective for my childhood Mm -hmm. right in my viewpoint and I was those like it's like why would I want to drink something like it doesn't seem great like watching it in media I didn't really love like I never understood why anybody would want to be drunk it was it just didn't make sense to me and I would watch this and I'd be I think for me it's always been like the ability to keep myself in control and being present has always been something that I've really prided myself in being and part of that means like I want to remember things and 
as I got older, I would learn even more about what alcohol does to you. And part of that is like, if you get blackout drunk, sometimes you're not going to remember, even if you're like, you're just a little drunk, people forget certain things that happened while they were drunk, or they're going to use that as sometimes as an excuse for their bad actions or bad behaviors. And I never wanted to give myself that kind of out. Like I always wanted to keep myself accountable at all times so that I can be able to defend myself if there were ever a situation arise and be like, I was sober, I made these decisions. And if I was sober, I have to take those consequences because like it was nothing else but me and my actions and my forethought or whatever it was. Um, But like a little background as far as the other quarter of it is I do have, you know, history of alcohol abuse in some of the men in my family, particularly like my grandfather officially couldn't drive himself anywhere pretty early for a senior. Um, I would say like early 60s, he was no longer allowed to drive himself um, because of his issues with alcohol and things like that. And then like, you know, I wouldn't call myself, my father an alcoholic. Like I grew up watching him like drinking a can or two of beer every night before he went to bed. And it just never seemed like a great thing for me. Like I was always like, are you dependent on it? Like what's going on here? And then as I got older in high school, like one of my cousins on my mother's side in South Korea, um, as a side effect of a very larger situation, ended up passing away from alcohol poisoning. And like, it was considered, the way my mother told me the story, they felt like it was like suicide by alcohol you know, and like, people don't realize that's a thing either, and so that really, like, hit home for me, because I loved him, and we hadn't gotten to know each other as much, because he was overseas compared to me growing up in the States, but, like, losing him in that way also really did something to, like, further prove, like, I don't want to drink, and in high school, I was never the person that was, like, at those parties, wanting to get drunk, or drinking with people, like, I had friends who did that, but, like, it was never a thing that I judged them for it was just never my scene you know it's not like those movies or tv shows watching like teenagers getting drunk on their own um that was never the kind of lifestyle that I was after it didn't always seem fun to me in the way I guess other people thought it was fun and then um soon after like the first Thanksgiving after I graduated college I lost a friend to like a car accident solo but it was in the middle of the night and she also had a history like she had a DUI in Austin that she was like constantly in town for to like finish the like the court processing for and she was clean and sober for years but like for her to get in an accident very close to the holidays where she's not very um in she was not in a good space in relationship with her family because of her queer identity which triggered her alcoholism and like her abuse of alcohol. And so I've always had to wonder like, was she drunk that night? Like, how did she get into an accident by herself that took her life away? So like it, like events in my life have just further triggered, like cemented that I choose to not partake as often, right? Like I still drink from time to time, but I think the life that I've led up till now and the experiences I've had and watching other people, I have just like, it just makes more sense for me not to drink. And I think that I've never been one to like 
judge other people for it. it I observe others and I try to understand maybe what their relationship is if it like is kind of wild but like alcohol for me is like we'll save it for like celebrations and like it makes it more special when you don't do it as often so like wedding toast I'll partake in a sip of champagne for wedding toast or you know big celebrations if somebody gets a job or sometimes on a birthday like my 21st birthday I did like do a couple of shots honestly they you know like sometimes you go I went to school in UT so like obviously Sixth Street was the plan you know they like mark your arm with like how many shots you can do I got pretty close to 21 that night and it, like, there are stories about how I got back to my apartment, but like, and there's a photo on Instagram of the next day where I'm at Don Juan and, or Juan in a million. And I'm like quoting a Kanye song in the caption and it's just very cringy. And that's it. Like, I don't, I have not drunk, drank alcohol at that volume since then, except like one other time right before I moved to New York. And then moving to New York, it's too expensive to partake in alcohol. Like, I got to pay the rent. <laughs> I got to pay the rent. I can't. <laughs> yeah, you've touched on a lot of things I, like, want to circle back on. So I think the first time I ever drank was at my 16th birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom had passed a month before yeah. my 16th birthday. And my friend, my best friend at the time... Um, her fa- her parents are like really heavy drinkers and so they had mm. like a small party for me at their house um my dad left I was staying over and her mom's one of those cool moms of like do you want to have your first drink with us and so I did um but like they they went to bed and I stayed up and we all stayed up and we ended up drinking and the next day I was sick all day um no, no. at 16 um so that's like when I like the first time I ever drank and it was it was for me like just I had been like the good kid like I never got a bad grade I never got in trouble I like was Mm. all these things and so like it was just like my mom was gone I was silently dealing with like an eating disorder um Mm. and then like to have access to alcohol for the first time I was like why not try it and then it kind of got like wild and then like my my dad um remarried eventually and, and well started dating again and like would go out of town and I'd stay at home. I'm an only child. So like I'd get to stay home at my family's three bedroom house in this little suburban place where I knew all my neighbors. And mm-hmm. I had my neighbor next door. It was like, as long as like, you're not getting wild or you have friends over, like, I don't care. Yeah. So like I had parties, but not like, not like movie parties, not like 30, hundred like people. a teeny soiree is like it like I'm a like small imagining. like a small mixer if you will <laughs> yes like a little I was, I, was in, I was entertaining if you will um, already at that age yeah I had like 15 maybe like 15 friends over um that's and actually I, a lot more than I was yeah, yeah. and I was popular you mean I had to like make a list I'm not I'm not surprised <laughs> that you were popular. I'm surprised that you were able to fit 15 people in a house without it getting crazy. Like yes, because there were rules. And it was like people like I had grown up with. Like they knew oh, yeah. they 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 knew the rules. Respectful like, people. You yeah, like, it wasn't like was some respectful trust circle. No, this is the list. <laughs> the only list we're inviting. Um mm-hmm. so like we had they had older siblings who would buy us alcohol and we would just all stay at my house. Like that was the rule. Like if you drink, you're staying. Mm-hmm. Um 
And yeah, I have like three or four parties during high school. I don't know if my dad knows. So we'll see if he listens to this and he finds out. Like, <laughs> he'll text be like, I knew. Yeah. Well, we had, we also had a large dog. So anything that got broken, I would just blame the dog. Poor bear. <laughs> I know. He was a Rottweiler. I was like, he just got loose. He's fine. He lived a great life. Um, <laughs> I would just feed him extra. Like, I'm going to blame you for this. So he has a treat because no one's going to. He doesn't care. He, was, he was fine. treated well. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think about that too. Like during high school, like I wasn't wild, but like I had that sort of like dabbling. Mm-hmm. And then in college, like we, in my, like where I grew up, we had like the week before prom, they had like the, like the destroyed car on the front lawn of like, don't drink and drive with prom coming oh. up. Yeah. Stupid. And then obviously like prom happened. We really didn't drink at prom for when I remember college mm-hmm. rolled around and I was I don't remember what I watched it's probably a tv show about someone getting like alcohol poisoning because that was like my biggest fear always of like <laughs> trying to drink too much and blah like I just was that was my thing it's like I didn't yeah. really drink in college um I would drink like when we would go out but also like it was college so I mean obviously um, yeah I feel like college is always like you get to like learn your limits yeah hopefully safely but hopefully safely yeah and like we all are we I went to a very small college um Mm -hmm. and we all like knew each other and so the rule was like we leave with who we come with like we'd have like Mm -hmm. go out in like packs if you will no one is left behind and all leave together or like if I came with like Gina but then like Melissa came with Amanda but Amanda left like I'd get I'm like I'll get Melissa home. You have to like, get, I, okay. I would take yeah it was always like we're a, like a pack looking mentality. after each other correct yes, yeah totally and also like I was usually the oldest in my groups of friends and so I was like okay we're all like I would like set the rules like this is it this so I like wasn't a wild drinker I guess is the way, mm-hmm. best way to put it because I was like but I you have partook. to make- I partook. You got to partake. Yeah. yeah, I probably did like one to like, I did one for everyone's like seven because I was like, I have to make sure all of you fools get home. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, I've, I've always been sort of like that older mother bear, older sister sort of feeling, but, mm. um, and then living in Austin was my first time living away from home. So I moved here when I was mm. 26 and everyone knows your mid twenties are like your brain just stopped cooking at 25. So now you think you're an adult and now I'm in this new place <laughs> and I had just come out. My best friend was living here with his boyfriend and I was like yeah. able to start new. And I was at this organization at the time where like I worked in affordable housing, but I did onsite case management. So I wasn't like not to toot my own, but I wasn't who I am now. Like I wasn't like mm-hmm. this well-known person. So I was mm-hmm. able to like go out. Like we used to call it the Sunday mm-hmm. teardown. Oh. <laughs> we'd start, we'd go to brunch at like 11. We'd go to brunch mm-hmm. 11 or noon be there till like one, go to a bar by, by the restaurant, stay mm-hmm. gold, RIP stay gold was my fave. <laughs> go to stay gold for like an hour before the gay bar opened. Cause my, our friend Ashton worked at OCH. So I never, we had never had to pay oh for God, drinks at OCH, OCH on Sundays. And so we'd go to OCH from like three to eight and then go up the hill to Iron Bear and do karaoke from eight to midnight. And then oh I go home gosh. and sleep and, and go, I was like 12 hours of like every sunday for like a year that's stamina though like and i, and I want to point out that i'm five four right oh my god all my guy oh my- friends all my guy friends are stocky like six two gay men 
bears like just huge and i'm like mm. i'm like i'm not gonna keep up with you but i'm also not gonna slow you down so it's like a weird oh like middle ground but then after <laughs> then i started working at like organizations where i had to like be an outward facing person and that changed mm-hmm. everything like i was like yeah. i can't be out here wild on sunday because what if i see a donor and like mm, so you're just out here getting wild and i'm like no i have to like <laughs> yeah get it together so a lot to be said is i've had a journey with with alcohol and we've had some tete-a-tetes is what i like to call them and mm-hmm. now i'm just to a point of like i'm 31 and i'm just i listen to i've done a lot of self-help i've done a lot of therapy i've done a lot of unpacking and mm-hmm. and now i've been listening to glennon doyle's podcast which if you no know, if you guys aren't listening to glennon doyle please listen to glennon doyle's podcast <laughs> um and she hosted with her sister abby comes on abby who's her wife who's one of the greatest soccer players ever comes on uh, your were, story is very interesting every time they tell their st- first of all everyone should read untamed or listen to it it's one of my favorite books highly recommend <laughs> also you might turn into a queer person after reading it because they're like makes everyone i want to like their story makes me want to fall in love and i hate the idea of that anyway oh my gosh we'll, we'll circle back we'll, we'll unpack my we have so much to circle back to I we'll, we'll unpack my disdain for dating another day um <laughs> but glennon just recently said on her podcast because she's in recovery and so is her sister and so is abby mm-hmm. and they were talking her and her sister were talking about um, how alcohol is tied to so many things, right? Like we tell busy moms that you deserve that glass of wine to unwind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you need to relax, drink. If you're celebrating, drink. If you're depressed, you should drink. Like it's escapism, drink. Like the 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 onus we put on alcohol sometimes to either escape or mute a, a feeling, and then also to also celebrate it and then it's also but are you actually like going to enjoy it if you're drinking and you get drunk and you're not like even like having the chance to celebrate it so Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's what's like coming up for me right now it's just like how often as a society we tie a lot of like everything to alcohol yeah like it's kind of it's weird so I want to circle back first to like when you're talking about like when you're in high school like you were the quote-unquote good kid right we were taught at such a young age that like for some reason, the students and the kids were telling them alcohol makes you a bad kid, right? And then that's like a lifetime of being told that like, it's something you need to be guilty for doing. And so then when you think about it, like a lot of addiction programs talk about like your your connection to certain things have a lot to, and like hiding it has a lot to do with shame and guilt. And like, but that's what we teach kids when they're minors and they're not legally allowed to drink if you do it, it's shameful. But then you don't grow out of that mentality as an adult, like as soon as you turn 21, right? So that, it just kind of feeds into this cycle of like, it's just always going to have these subconscious feelings of guilt and shame that you drink, even though you're like, we're also taught as adults that of legal age that like, you should drink to like reward yourself, or you should drink to like help you through pain, or you should reward, like, it's like, it's you do it to celebrate or to hang out. And it, I don't think a lot of people see that, you know, and I think um, I like how you brought that up about like we say that you reward yourself or you use it to relax. I have a lot of people in my life that are introverts or awkward people like they feel awkward. They'll be like, I do a, I drink one or two in social situations because I don't I need to loosen up or I need to like feel 
Like I need the liquid courage. I hate that term because it's not about being an introvert, introvert or like being awkward. I think people just have been told that like, if you don't know how to have like a decent conversation with another human, like you need a, you need liquid courage. It's not that you're just not hanging out with the right people. You're not putting yourself in situations that make you feel comfortable and it shouldn't take an outside substance. Not saying that it's, I'm not trying to say that like, if you do, you're a horrible person. I'm just saying that I hope for you in the future that you find yourself in a circle or social situations that you feel comfortable in. I think that is the biggest thing. Like it's easy for me as an outgoing extrovert ENFP type person to tell you, you don't have to like do this. Like you have it in you and like, go be like, meet people. Like, I understand that it is difficult for certain people. Like that is true and it's studied. I understand that. But like, I also find that I want to be that person that helps others do it naturally. I love to introduce people. I love throwing out topics that like are wildly random, but like it creates conversations between people without necessarily the need for alcohol, right? Like I love non-alcohol involved situations to hang out with people. Um, And like, I don't know, I feel like it's interesting when I brought up shame and guilt, because if you look at, like as a queer person, if you look at the research, the addiction center says that 30% of the LGBTQ community abuses substances, and that includes alcohol, right? A lot of LGBTQ centers offer treatment programs because a lot of LGBTQ people tend to have those issues. And that's compared to like 9% of like the population as a whole. But I think 9% is, is a very small number with people that abuse alcohol or other substances. I think that's being a little understating in my observation. And in my opinion, I think a lot more people do have a, not an addiction completely, but like a dependence on it, right? I think dependence and addiction are two different things on, but they're very like close. Like once you start hitting dependence, it's only so matter, so much time or so much consumption that it starts becoming addiction, right? And it's like, you should, I wanna help people catch themselves before that happens maybe, so. Yeah, you mean, you're just really, my brain is just like, oh my God, there's so many things I wanna talk about. I am an ENFJ, so being oh my gosh, we're like yeah. kindred spirits. We're right there. I love that. Being Wait, in- what's your sun sign? I'm a Pisces. You're Pisces, right? Okay, so Pisces, I'm Taurus, an Aries. Pisces, Taurus. No, yeah, Pisces, Taurus, Sag. Okay, Taurus is your moon sign or mm-hmm. rising? Okay, so I'm an Aries, Sun, Capricorn, Moon, Scorpio, Rising. So if you want to call chaos, it's me no. in this body. No. Yeah. Um, (laughs) but like I think I like to ask those questions because it's like an easy way to like understand like broad spectrum I will send you my full chart right now I'm an Enneagram 8 but I've been presenting as a 2 right now anyway oh um, presenting as a 2 I've been in the 2, 3, 4 range like my entire life I don't know exactly which one I am because I like jump back and forth I've been very very healthy lately anyway um, yeah so as a ENFJ as a very extroverted person, I found that I have a lot of introverted friends because I'm the person who makes people feel fine. Like, 
I'm people's supported, like, encouraged. I'm like, I'm the, I'm the courage that people sometimes need. Like, yeah, like the cheerleader. I, feel I have like friends who are like, Aries too. I have friends who are like, I'm socially, like, I'm so socially awkward, but I know if I go to like one of like your birthday parties, everyone's going to be nice because they all know you, right? Like there's, there's that level mm, of it. So nice. I think about that too of like, as an extrovert, we are, like you're saying, we're taught like the good people don't drink, the bad people do drink when we're when mm-hmm. we're young, right? And then like as you get older, like you're you're supposed to drink, right? Like it's like it's socially acceptable, it's how you fit in, and it's like the yeah. good things. And and then you talk to people who literally cannot drink because of you know their addictions or what it means for them mentally. And mm-hmm. then it's like, well, there's something wrong with them. We never mm-hmm. unpack the system of like how one, how easily accessible alcohol is. To yes. what it does like it is it is a depressant and it literally exactly it literally does so many things to your brain right and yeah not only your brain but to your body too your like, whole body as an east asian person so south koreans chinese people and japanese people technically have this trait genetically where we're missing a specific enzyme or an enzyme specifically interacts differently and if you both your parents have it it's actually better because your body just like rejects alcohol completely um but if you only have it from one parent it like makes it it like this the 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 chemical reaction of alcohol in your body worse for you long term in health so and if you drink despite having this particular like genetic situation you're actually at higher risk of alcohol-related or alcohol-caused diseases and alcohol-related cancers. So, like, there are people that legitimately are just gonna die if they drink the the way that Americans drink. But also, as a South Korean, like, as a Korean person, right? It's hard to say South Korean. That's a whole other thing. Like, North Korean and South Korean people are literally genetically the same we're separated by colonization and one little like line across the peninsula but um like South Korea research has shown from like 2014 and even now they drink like at least nine days a month right and that's a lot by volume they by volume drink twice as much as Russians did and I think the other one was like Compared to Americans, they drink like 10 times more in volume. <laughs> but the thing is, like, soju is their like biggest vice, or like they're the largest producer of soju and they drink beer. But like the fact that they out drink Russians scare the crap out of people. They're like, how are they drinking that much when they're like half of them have missing enzymes and all this stuff, like, or whatever it might be because of the Asian flush and not such. Um, but it's true like it's such a part of every culture now right unless it's religious like a lot of people drink part of culture companies in Korea if you work for a major company you're expected to go to like what's called a kweshik which is like after a day of work you have to go with the same people you saw for like eight to ten hours to dinner and you have to drink and then within drinking with your superiors there are rules on how you pour, how you take drinks, who drinks first, who pours whose. Like, it is insane what societies have created around the ritual of drinking alcohol. And it's like, 
Is it that deep? Does it have to be that deep? <laughs> Does it? Um, I don't think so. But clearly, we we clearly might be wrong because it is right. Like there's like so yeah. much around. To, like even think about communion. Like I was raised, oh yeah, Baptist in the north, not like Southern Baptist, not like fire and brimstone scary right. church. Um, but like we but did still Baptist. But di- yeah, and we did um communion every first Sunday. And so I think about that, like growing up, like we obviously had like wine, shout out to Manischewitz, which is like my godmother's <laughs> favorite wine, which is so funny to me. Her favorite wine is a communion wine. We'll circle back. Oh my gosh. Later date, I can't. Um, or we had grape juice, right? And so I yeah. think even like having that option for like, obviously for kids who can't drink wine, but then also for people who have a problem with alcohol like even that and growing up and seeing that option was like such a nice mm. thing for me or yeah. or people who just chose not to drink but yeah I think about like how prevalent alcohol is and everything from like you're saying religious to to community to professional to personal like it's just so tied into things and I think like I've like we've said in this on this episode so far like there's just such a tie to it so I think when people don't drink and it's not for a reason that is quote deemed acceptable like right like what's wrong with you like what like dealing with addiction or what have you it's like oh my mm-hmm. gosh like I remember I remember a friend of mine saying when we were super young not super young but like when I first started drinking and in that case I was like the youngest of my friend groups so when I turned 21 like all my other friends had already been 21 for a while mm-hmm. and also like in gay culture like a lot of like a lot there's a lot of drinking in in lgbt yeah in the community events yeah alcohol is still very prevalent and so my friend said i was talking to this girl and we had a situationship if you will Mm -hmm. and she didn't drink and my friend literally looked me in the face and he goes i don't trust people who don't drink and i go what does that even mean like (laughs) you know i think what that when people say that that is them projecting their vulnerability. I think people are afraid of the idea that if I'm in a situation, if I'm outside at an event with other people and I'm drinking with others and everybody else is drinking, but somebody else isn't drinking, the people that are drinking and are tipsy and are drunk, they're being vulnerable. You know, they're being outlandish and they're being mm-hmm. open, like quote unquote open because they've got the liquid courage. So like when somebody chooses the fear of judgment also but just also like I think what they feel like is like I'm choosing to be vulnerable and putting myself in the situation mm. by being drunk why aren't you doing the same like why yeah. aren't you reciprocating that kind of quote-unquote vulnerability and that's a fair question but like again is it it shouldn't be that deep like it's not a scary thing I don't think I'm better than anybody because I don't drink right in in drinking situations right and I've heard that a lot though like I've heard other people say that quite often like I don't trust people who don't drink like why it's like saying so that's like saying I don't trust somebody that doesn't smoke weed like yeah that's weird you don't say that you don't but like I think it's just like you're like we've said so societally built in that you should like drinking Mm -hmm. should be the norm and so people who Mm -hmm. go outside of that specifically for a reason that isn't like medical or mental or like an actual like a quote actual reason Mm -hmm. um yeah I also think about we we have to talk about an or and and or unpack how prevalent alcohol is in our community and you know we just had pride month and I wrote a whole (laughs) I wrote a 
a blog post for this company about rainbow capitalism and yes. talking about how much alcohol is marketed to queer people in like fucking rainbow bottles or sparkly ass yes. say pride and whatever the bullshit that is um and you know like you you gave that stat of like how many people in our community drink and it's legit i think it's both escapism and coping mechanisms um because we've we've been taught we were bad and so i think sometimes alcohol like you're saying it helps us have liquid courage it helps us to face the day it helps us do all these things and it's just like or make us work through the guilt and shame right yeah being queer it's like i'm already guilty and shameful because i'm queer might as well just add on to it and just be also an alcoholic or Mm -hmm. a drug addict or whatever it might be and like and it's just like it makes me sad you know and i think i have a lot of privilege too because i did grow up in a predominantly like upper class like upper middle class community mostly predominantly white and like i understand that i had quote-unquote better what role models not even role models just like experiences where alcohol wasn't as like used as much as a coping Mm -hmm. you know like there's also studies that show that when you are dealing with poverty or with like just being low income and also of like communities of color that have less resources white communities like people use substances of all sorts Mm -hmm. to cope Yep. And, you know, and like whatever small resources they do have, they put it towards things that make them feel good in the moment because life is so hard. And I think that also applies to the queer community where kids are being kicked out Mm -hmm. as minors, you know, like queer children are still the large, a very large percentage of homeless youth, if not the majority of homeless youth. And when you're in those situations and you're with people that, are like transient or homeless or like like things like that like they're given they're in like these situations where they're not taught and not quote unquote better but just like they're taught these more unhealthy coping mechanisms right because they don't have the resources they don't Mm -hmm. have the people looking out for them I just I just think of the advertising of using a queer person who is conventionally attractive has prominence on the internet to peddle something that is so detrimental to that specific identity group and how Mm -hmm. problematic a lot of people see that and a lot of people will comment on it and a lot of people have conversations around it because I think you know we have to talk about the fact that like non-binary gender fluid trans folks are trying to not only deal with their their gender identity also being kind of left out even still and you know I forgot intersex folks even just now like just people who are gender fluid or gender mm-hmm. gender variant right? gender, like, thank you gender variant who are already kind of taught or completely taught that they are wrong who are mm-hmm. now being used to peddle is just it's just such an interesting dichotomy for me of like yeah. obviously like yes make money make a living but also at the same time it's like it's just so I don't want our community to feel like they have to exploit their identity to make it and survive. Yeah. I want, you know, I understand that not everybody can be the India Moors or the Janet Mox of our life, right? They can't all be the liver and coxes and all that. And like, they, we all have to kind of do what we need to do to do 
what we want, right? Like to have the jobs that we want, if they want to be advocates and forward facing and prominent figures in media, people do certain things. But mm-hmm. I think, and I don't, and, you know, we say a lot to other communities um, when we're talking about our own communities, as far as like the person whose experience you're trying to learn about, it is not on that person to mm-hmm. educate you. It is your job to go and look. But it's also my responsibility as a non-binary person to do my own research about my own community and what the larger community has gone through, right? And like, I think for me, that's why I try my hardest to like try and learn more about not only the Black trans woman's experience, but like their like contributions to our community. And also, like I said, the history of our community, right? The AIDS epidemic. No one really, we still don't talk about it enough, I think. We don't talk about how, you know, we've lost a generation of gay role models, you know, that are of the boomer generation because they died. We don't talk enough about the lesbians that helped try and take care of the gay men dying of this epidemic, you know? And I think what you brought up as far as companies using forward-facing influencers that happen to be of the queer identity in any sort of way to peddle and to sell their product for a profit without realizing what their product has done to said community is a show of that company's privilege, the owner's privilege, like the lack of forethought, the lack of education, and with the lack of research. I think so many companies are obviously doing rainbow capitalism and like even my parent company is guilty of that, but it's because the employees that work in all of our community and our companies, there's still a lot of conservatives. They might not be as outwardly conservative in like the workspace, but their money sure does, right? And so like companies can put a rainbow flag or a rainbow border in all their photos and say they're very supportive of the like the LGBTQ community. But like I don't want Vodka companies to continue being like, we're the official drink of pride. No, you're like poison to our community. I like, I hate seeing statistics about like, there's a um, a center in Houston that HEB uh, just recently posted about donating to on Instagram, like Instagram TV or whatever. My friends shot that commercial or whatever, that piece. And like, that center in Houston has addiction recovery programs for senior LGBTQ members because they're still struggling with that addiction. It's a lifelong addiction for a lot of people. They're constantly going to tell you they're always in recovery. They're, you know, like that community is constantly going through. And I just don't want more of our community to go that route. And like you said, pride does not the capitalism of pride and the the alcoholism of pride is like it makes me sad well it's also like and like I said with Glennon Doyle like drinking is so tied into celebration and joy and I feel like it just I feel like that's not true right like I could I I can go out and go to karaoke and have a great time and not have to drink, right? Like I can Mm -hmm. go to a parade and enjoy a day and not have to drink. I can go to a friend's wedding and celebrate their their marriage and not have to drink to celebrate, right? Like I feel like Mm -hmm. 
there's there's the two sides to it. Like, like like we can't tie like if the only way we can celebrate is by being fucking blackout then that's bullshit right like it why is. do we have to hide behind that and, and my, i feel sorry go ahead, I no, no, go ahead, up, go ahead. like it comes back to when i brought up i want to be present mm-hmm. i want to remember how i felt celebrating your wins right. in mine yes i want to remember that feeling of joy and I think because alcohol is a depressant, it's like, it's kind of like you're numb, you're dumbing down the best part of celebrating, the best part of community. You're watering down technically like that serotonin boost, you know? And I think that that's something that people should start considering too, is like, if you got, you can celebrate with alcohol to a point and that's great. But if you black out, like, are you going to remember how happy you were mm-hmm. that your child just got married and found the love of their life and have like a found their lifetime partner? Are you going to be sad and upset that you forgot exactly how you felt getting that promotion or graduating college or your, your master's program and feeling a sense of accomplishment? Do you want to forget that moment of celebration where your friends come together and say like you are amazing and you killed it and like I don't know like I as somebody who wants loves to celebrate other people I don't use alcohol to do that because like I will never forget all the tingles that come with that yes I'm just nodding (laughs) I can't say anything else like yeah yeah and it's interesting so ever since you posted about being sober curious my instagram algorithm (laughs) is like half and half like i'm getting served way more ads for alcohol than i normally do because i don't really engage with alcohol related things but because Mm -hmm. of way technology is it's not perfect like you could be a sober living individual and accidentally engage with one alcohol post when it's about being sober and you'll inadvertently start getting served the thing that is like you're trying yeah. to avoid, right? And which is really hard for people that are in recovery. Yeah, I don't think that's fair for them either. Um, but on the other side, last night, I was actually served an Instagram reel of a, an account that creates or shows videos of how they concoct alcohol-free mocktails, essentially, oh. right? And they have like brands of actual like rum replacement or rub substitutes where it has the flavor but without the alcohol bite and -hmm. without the alcohol and they started posting reply videos to like comments like why would anyone do this no one does this no one's why would you want to drink something that doesn't have alcohol in the way i have been searching for aperol spritz replacement i think there's a video that i found yeah aperol is like my favorite it's so not to cut you off (laughs) and not to like say i'm in love with aperol spritz but they're like my favorite like summer refreshing cocktail because it's not super heavy it's not super alcoholic it's just like that little bit of booze in a glass that i need when i'm out and it's fancy but i'm also like i want it now i just don't want the alcohol but i also don't want to be super sugary because i'm like that serves no purpose for me Anywho, mm-hmm. so I I personally would love a spirits-free version exactly. of Aperol. Thank you. And I think people that comment some things like that, sometimes they're young. Mm-hmm. They haven't met people that have, like, in their 
like immediate vicinity that have struggled with maybe alcohol or they've never met somebody that has health issues Mm -hmm. due to alcohol or vice versa and so like that like youth sometimes is an excuse like you have not experienced what it does to other people and what it could do to you Uh, but on the other hand it's just like it goes back to the thing it's like why is it so wrong it's not it's not weird to be an adult who doesn't like alcohol I hate the taste of beer I do not understand how anybody thinks happiness is refreshing (laughs) or tasty I don't get it um at all and like for me I don't need you to attack my my fact that I'm so sorry IPAs are like (gasps) Jimmy I'm hanging up this call (laughs) they're so they're so big and acidic and it's like it's just not my taste right but I love sugary Uh drinks you said you don't sugar doesn't do anything for you right like I love Moscow mules like I love the ginger beer taste um what is it like Moscato is great that's freaking apple juice you mean you know what I'm not gonna judge you let's circle back let's go back I can totally do (laughs) I can do like um like give me uh what is it a vodka pineapple hold the vodka like <laughs> like I don't really care for the taste of alcohol plus like so like saves me money I don't have to get drunk and I love sugar you know like I'm addicted to rebels like everybody has their vice I'm killing myself in another way maybe uh-huh. but like at least I'm present really? I think that's the biggest thing absolutely um I was gonna say something and it just jumped out of my brain it'll come back oh it'll come back talking about mocktails so let's talk about something so as we've discussed i am one of the most social creatures in the whole world um Mm -hmm. and that's not hyperbolic i'm i will talk to a wall if you let me (laughs) um but i i just went you know i've been on this like sober curious journey but it Mm -hmm. doesn't mean like a girl doesn't enjoy a happy hour situation because a girl loves snacks and so I went out with four friends and, you know, they're all, it's, first of all, it's like half off like martinis and Cosmos. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'll do a blueberry lemonade and bring me a topo. Fine. And then like, as the night went on and I was like, okay, I want to like try a mocktail. Mm-hmm. Why aren't mocktails more readily available on the menu? Like you have to think about it. Like if I could make, I mm. want an Aperol spritz and it's, it's listed versus like i want something non-alcoholic and for people to like say like well we have orange juice or apple juice I'm like no 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 like i want it to look <laughs> like everybody else is yeah. i want to have that like, you want pizzazz. a pretty drink i want that pizzazz i just don't want the alcohol and i and it was interesting like and i don't get social anxiety but i also like i'm i was getting it in that moment like the waitress is coming back around i don't know what i want because the option like isn't available and i'm like why mm. am i freaking out like i'm with friends but it's also like this just like if if this is a for for sake of argument let's say this is a choice i'm making right now to be sober Mm -hmm. i'm thinking about the folks who like have to be sober and like Mm -hmm. what this like how unfair that is for them right like you can only have things that come out of a bottle and that's it and figure it out like why don't we make non-alcoholic mocktails just as accessible as like alcoholic ones right right and then and it's cheaper to make, honestly. 
And bartenders love that shit. Like I was talking to a friend the other day, like as a bartender, I love when people ask for non-alcoholic things. So like there's just sometimes things you can't mix together because it just won't taste good. It's like for us to be able to like get creative and like use that skill has been like so fun for us. But yeah, I just like that. I'm just saying restaurants add a mocktail option, gay bars add a mocktail option. Yeah. Even just even if it's it's really interesting that gay bars don't have them as much like you can get it i think it's just being <laughs> that's you, like uh, your only option uh, also don't talk to me about like seltzer waters it's the only option you have you I can get seltzer get or, or grapefruit <laughs> you mean we are very different people <laughs> we're not different people i'm just a child at certain like when it comes to drinks like when you brought up mocktails it's like when you mention a mocktail like the first thing that they'll usually say is like we can give you a shirley temple legitimately when I was back in town, when I was moving apartments, I, our team at work was like so excited because we are all vaccinated and we were like, we got to see each other. And so we went out to like um, somewhere close to our office of, over by Herald Square and it was a great vibe and stuff like that. And we got there for happy hour. And the only thing that I could think of that was non-alcoholic, like I did, I partook in like one Moscow meal. Like, I have a one drink limit, too. Like, if I want to celebrate being with people, I'll do one drink, but then I'm, like, switched to, like, a soda or water. And so I was just, like, happily asked for a Shirley Temple. Legitimately. I wanted the Machino Cherry and everything. It was perfection. Because that's, like, the only option, though. Like, you could make so much money being inclusive. Right? People don't realize that, like, it is exclusionary to not offer non-alcoholic options and like it's so annoying because it's like I do not dream of capitalism I do not dream of like like making other people money but like legitimately everybody else is thinking about how can I make more money what is my profit margin going to increase by and a mocktail like one or two options could literally change the game because all you need is like this a lot of the same simple syrups things like that you just get maybe like one or two like non-alcoholic substitutes for other flavors and like because not as many people might order them you might not even have to have a large stock of it right and so the overhead is already cheap you're not going to have as much people buying it as like an alcoholic drink plus you're going to make you can still charge like very similarly priced to your alcohol maybe like two or three dollars cheaper and make a good profit off of it so it's just like when you're inclusive it's best for everybody everybody wins i don't understand how that's so hard to like comprehend you heard it here everybody (laughs) wins uh yumi i could talk to you all day so I thank you for coming on and chatting with me. I'll be sure to link all your stuff in the show notes. Is there anything you want to plug as we start to wrap up? Um, I don't know. I don't really have, I don't like do like things outside of like talking on Instagram and Twitter. So it's like hard for me to like, I don't have anything to plug. Watch Gossip Girl. Help me like keep my job. Keep me relevant. 
Gossip Girl is like our biggest release. So like they just premiered the first season or first episode. Wow. So. You, y'all heard it here, folks. You mean the reason why we have Gossip Girl reboot? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to keep my job, please. Pay my um, bills. You mean the reason why we have the shows we love. So thank you so much, Yum. <laughs> um at the end of every episode, I like to ask a palate cleanser, sort of leaving on a high note question. And that question is, what is the best advice you were ever given? Or what is a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Oh, there's so much. I mean, it's hindsight's 2020. So I feel like there's a lot I would tell my younger self. But I think there's a phrase that first rolled around on Tumblr and Twitter and all that. But it's be who you needed when you were younger and I kind of live by that nowadays just because like with like representation politics and like being PC and things like that and like trying to be diverse and give equity I've realized that like that's what I that's why it was so hard for me to grow up you know like why it was hard for me to like find myself and be not depressed I guess outside of like needing therapy um it's just like I think if you find yourself in situations where you wish you had a role model, like just remember that as you get older, like there's somebody that's watching you that is taking inspiration from like you living your life and being authentic to yourself. And like, I've really come to realize, especially with like anti-trans bills throughout this country, like at abhorrent rates, it's like, I, if I can be told one day that like somebody young a young person decided that they weren't going to give up on their own life because they saw me out of like some some random way right being a proud asian american non-binary person who loves women like you can you can have a life you'll have a life it does get better i know it sucks to hear that but like be patient and just be the person you wish to see in the world, I think is like a really important thing because change doesn't happen until you start it in little ways, the smallest of ways. That's it for this week's episode of the tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the tea with Brie. Send me an email at the tea with Brie at gmail.com and visit the website, the tea with Brie podcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will talk to y'all next week. Bye.